This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. I have an imagination, and, and sometimes it goes to silly places. And when I was studying this passage this week, I started imagining John the Baptist in seminary in a homiletics course, which is where you learn how to preach. And, and one of his buddies there, Joe, Joe the Baptist, uh, he never made it as far. Joe and John are talking, and they're kind of going back and forth over what, what John's going to preach. And, and Joe is giving him feedback, like we, we give each other feedback up here. And, and Joe is coming to John, and he's saying, yeah, it's good, it's good. There's a lot, there's a lot that I like about it. I, I'm just not sure I would lead with brood of vipers. <laughs> you, you know, it's a new audience. You got to maybe tell a story about yourself, make a personal connection, establish rapport. Self-deprecation always goes over really well. And John, you got a lot of material to work with, with the camel hair and the eating locusts and all of that. John didn't need a homiletics course. He had a message that could not be domesticated. Last week, Father Matt preached on the first six verses of chapter 3 of Luke, which is where we'll be this morning. So if you're not open to chapter 3 of the Gospel of Luke, go ahead and open there now. Father Matt preached to us and told us that the essence of John's message was repent, turn around, change your life. And said that while repentance may be an uncomfortable word for us at first, once we understand its meaning, it leads through to joy. So too today, we're going to focus on another word that may be uncomfortable at first, and it's the word of discipline. John's message was something mightier is coming. A mighty move of God is about to sweep through this land, and in fact, and perhaps John himself didn't even fully realize this, God himself was coming. And he had to prepare the people. That was his job. And to do that, it required a message of discipline. The tragedy is that there were some who were there hearing John preach who missed out on the something mightier that was to come because they refused to accept the discipline that John brought. The same is true for us. The something mightier is here. Jesus has come, but in another way, something mightier still than what we're yet experiencing is possible and is yet coming. And the message today is if you want to be totally consumed by the loving, holy presence of God, you must first receive and even invite his discipline. Let me say that again. If, if you want to experience the something mightier than, than what we're experiencing now. If we believe that there is yet a greater glory to come and that we can experience more and more of it in this life, if we want to be totally consumed by the loving, holy presence of God, we must begin by receiving and even inviting his discipline. Do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Do you want more of God's life? Do you want more of his power? Above all, do you want more of his love? What is the starting place? The starting place is invite his discipline. Now, right away, some of you are going to hear that word, discipline, and you're going to get triggered. It's a negative word for you because discipline for you means rejection. It means distance and disconnection or an overwhelming and unresolvable shame. I'll say more about that at the end, but it's important for me to say up front, that's not the discipline of the Lord. Quite the opposite. With God, discipline is always about 
his love. That may not be how you've experienced discipline in human relationship. And it may be that today the Lord wants to heal your heart and to give you a new vision of discipline, to give you a vision of discipline that's rooted and grounded in his love and connection to him. Whatever else God wants to do this morning, I feel confident of this, that he wants to open our hearts to his discipline. So wherever you are at, when I say the word discipline, I encourage you, open your heart to the Lord's discipline and do not be afraid. When I was 17 and in high school, um, I, I began to be a, a leader in my school, especially among, among the Christians. I had a powerful encounter with the Lord that summer before, and it was beginning to make a result in, in my life. We were, we were doing things and holding meetings, and, and people were coming, and people were looking to me for leadership. And it was a really exciting time. But along with that, I started to grow an ego and a pride and an arrogance. And I distinctly remember in an October evening, when it was chilly outside, my friend and I were sitting in his Jeep, and the engine was still running because it was cold. We were about ready to go uh, to a party or something, and we waited in the car for 10 or 15 minutes because he had something he wanted to say to me. And for 10 or 15 minutes, he just said the things that I had said or done in the last few months that were really proud or arrogant. And at one point in the conversation, he said, Brett, sometimes you're so prideful, I don't want to be with you. I just sat there, and I listened. It did not feel good. But I often look back on that, and I say, who would I be today if it weren't for that conversation? Similarly, a few years later, it was the first year of ministry. I was the youth pastor here at Church of the Resurrection. And I remember when I became the youth pastor, I thought, ah, finally, I've arrived. Now people will listen to me. Now I don't have to do any more learning. I'm done. I'm there. I was 24 at the time. <laughs> and halfway through that year, I was leading the students on a retreat about God's wisdom, and, and we were doing Proverbs. And, and in the solitude time, I was just reading through, and I came across this proverb. A fool is wise in his own eyes, or the way of a fool seems right to him. But he who is wise listens to advice. And I'd read that proverb many times before, but in that moment, the Spirit of God completely undid me. I unraveled, and it ushered in a season, years, of really intense figuring out, okay, what don't I know, and what do I need to learn, and how can I learn it from the people around me instead of thinking, I don't have anything more to learn. That still is going on. There's still so much more for me to learn, but that was a really intense period of a few years of me learning the Lord's discipline. And again... Who would I be if that moment hadn't happened? What kind of pastor would I be if the Holy Spirit had not convicted me in that moment? So this morning, we're going to see in our, in our crowd who are listening to John the Baptist, there are two kinds of people. There are those who are resistant and those who are responsive to the Lord's discipline. And my question for you this morning is very simple. Are you resistant or are you responsive? When God's correction and his discipline comes to you, whether it's through the word of God like it did when I was a youth pastor, whether it's through the mouth of a brother or a sister like it did when I was 17 and my buddy Nate in the Jeep was telling me what was up. Are you resistant or are you responsive to the word of correction? So let's turn to the passage 
where we'll find there are two kinds of people in the crowd, those who are resistant. Let's read verses 7 through 9. So John said, he's preaching to the crowds, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, lip service doesn't count. Don't just say one thing, but do nothing about it. Your life has to change. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now, the axe is at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear good fruit, it will be thrown into the fire. So it's a good idea to ask, what is the identity of this brood of vipers? Who are the brood of vipers? Is it everybody in the crowd, or is it a select few people in the crowd? And I think the answer is, and we can be pretty confident, it's actually a select people within the crowd, which is why this morning I didn't come to you all talking to you saying, good morning, resurrection, you brood of vipers, all right? I tried that this week in the office. I'd walk around saying, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from wrath? And people just ran away from me, so it didn't work. In Matthew's gospel, telling the same story, he makes it more explicit. He says, when John looked up and he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said to them, you brood of vipers. So we know that it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are the target of, of this phrase, brood of vipers. Jesus himself also called that same group of people brood of vipers. Same phrase. He did it later in Matthew's gospel in, in chapter 23 and 20. And he did so because they did not listen or pay attention. He said, you're a brood of vipers because you do not listen to the prophets whom my father sent. You do not listen. You refuse to accept my words and you toss them behind your back, he's saying. Later in Luke's gospel, we get a little more context as well. So Jesus is being questioned about John the Baptist. And they're saying, who was that guy? So Jesus tells them who he was. And then it says the tax collectors declared that God was just because they were baptized with John's baptism. However, the Pharisees and the lawyers, those who were experts in the law of Moses, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So what we find out is this group of leaders they're coming to the waters of baptism to see what, what all the hubbub is about. Maybe like they did with Jesus, they're coming to question John and to scrutinize him and to observe him, not to learn from him, not to submit to his teaching, still less to submit to the baptism. Uh, in that time, baptism was used by Jews as a way to cleanse Gentiles who were unclean, Gentile sinners. They would come in through baptism, and that's how they would convert to Judaism. So those who were leaders were saying, that's not for us. That's for those unclean Gentile sinners. This is beneath us. And frankly, it's a little embarrassing that all of these other Israelites are going down into the water and being baptized. That was their attitude and their response. It was beneath them. So they refused. They had the sin of pride and presumption. And John said to them, look, there's nothing about who you are and there's nothing about what you've done that gives you any reason to have security before God. If he wants to, he can raise up these stones and make them children of Abraham. Don't depend on your lineage. Don't depend on your heritage. Don't depend on anything other than the mercy of God. And that's true for us, too. If our security is in any other thing, even any other spiritual thing other than the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, 
That's the sin of presumption. So if you've been in church your whole life, that's a beautiful gift. But don't hold to that alone, especially if at the core, at the heart, there's not this understanding, this deep understanding that my only security is in the mercy of God and in the blood of Jesus shed for me. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were resistant to discipline, and because of this, they missed out on the something mightier that was coming. There were others in the crowd who were responsive. They welcomed this word of discipline. So let's take a look at verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? They were cut to the heart and saying, tell me, what can I act upon to make this real, to make my repentance, to make my confession real? I want to live this out. I want to walk into what I'm experiencing today. And he said, great, I want to tell you, if you have two tunics, share with the one who has none. If you have food, share that also. Tax collectors, when you're collecting, don't collect more than you're supposed to. Soldiers, don't use your power to abuse others and extort money and be content with your wages. Because they were responsive, those who said, what shall we do? It was to them the promise in verse 16 comes. So look at 16. They're all wondering, is John the Messiah? He's saying, no, 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 it's not me. I baptize with water, but there's, there's a greater baptism coming. There's a greater ministry coming. Mine's just to prepare the way. And the one who is mightier will come. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What a promise. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. But that promise was for those who were responsive to the initial word of correction and discipline. Those who refused that discipline missed out on this promise of being filled with God himself. Let's go back just for a moment and take a look at those things that John is again instructing the people towards. It's important, it's helpful for us to see and hear that there's something for everyone. Share. And tax collectors do this, and soldiers do this. And then verse 18 tells us that with many other exhortations. So John had a lot to say. And he had a lot to say that was relevant to almost anybody in the room. Great. John was also concerned, and Jesus later would be too, about how the kingdom of God intersects with everyday life. That's why he said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That's why his teaching was about their jobs and what they do every day. He's saying the kingdom of God should make a difference. Your faith should change the way you live your life. All that's well and good. But do you, do you notice something as we look at these instructions? John's teaching is actually nothing remarkable. It's, it's nothing beyond basic morality. I mean, in verse 19, it talks about him going after Herod and saying, you can't marry your brother's wife. Well, that's just in the Levitical law. That was against the law. And Herod, who is the king of the Jewish people, and all of these people who were God's people, they above all should be following the law, but they weren't. So John comes preaching a basic morality, and the people are amazed so it reminds me of when I was in seventh grade, we had just moved to a new town, and uh, all of the sign-ups for, for basketball, all the other good players already had their teams from previous years. So when I signed up for basketball, I got stuck in with all the leftovers. We didn't win a single game that year. 
And I actually remember sitting on the bench overhearing this conversation on the first game. So this is the first game of the season. Another player is talking to my coach, and he says, uh, Coach, could you tell me some of the rules of basketball? <laughs> and the coach said, the, rule, the rules? And the kid said, yeah, you know, like some of the rules of basketball. And I'm not kidding. The coach grabbed the ball, and he said, this is a basketball. In basketball, you can't just run around on the court with it. You have to bounce it with only one hand. And if you stop bouncing it, you can't start bouncing it again. You have to either pass or shoot. Let's just stick with passing for today. No shooting for you. And when you pass, pass to the guys in blue. They are your teammates. There will be four of them on the floor. And you know what the kids said? Great, thanks. That's really helpful. So, so I see John, and he's, he's, he's just teaching basic morality. He's saying, don't steal. It's not nice. It hurts people. And they're like, wow, that's great. I never thought of it from the other person's perspective before. You know, or he's saying, look, if you're at work and you've got two sandwiches and you eat one and you're not hungry anymore and your buddy's there, he didn't have enough money to buy lunch, instead of throwing your extra sandwich in the trash, give it to him. Like, wow, revelations, this is amazing. He's teaching them nothing more than basic morality and yet they're amazed by it, they're stunned. Jesus is going to come along later and he's going to say, look, if you've got two tunics and someone steals one from you, give them the other one. If anyone asks you for anything, give it. Love your enemies. And oh, by the way, if you want to be my disciple, you actually have to be executed first. <laughs> so Jesus is going to even raise up the notch one degree even higher. And yet what I love about this is what does it tell us? It shows us that when God disciplines us, he comes to us where we are at. This is where the people of Israel were at. They needed instruction in basic morality. And we might joke about it, but the reality is, and you and I know it, actually, most of the world and we ourselves need to be reminded of basic morality. How much of the world is suffering because we're not sharing, giving, looking out for others? But I love that God comes to us at the level where we are at. Some of you, the, the reason that discipline has a negative connotation for you is you only associate discipline with punishment. Oh, I've done something wrong, now I'm going to get punished. It does have that meaning, but it also has the sense of training helping to build and grow skills that weren't there before. Think about, you know, with an athletic coach or with a music teacher. They're not only correcting your mistakes, they do do that, but they also show you how to do things that you didn't know how to do before. That also is discipline. And what is God looking for? He actually doesn't care whether you're super mature, really far along, or whether you're just, if this is the first time you're in church today, it's so good that you're here. And do you, do you know what God cares about more than anything? It's not how good you are how responsive you are, or are you resistant? 
Because what he wants is teachability. He wants people that he can come to and say, here you are, I'm going to move you a little further. I'm going to make you a little bit more like me. I'm going to make you a little bit more like me. But he can't do that if we're resistant. He can only do that to the humble, responsive. And he's so patient. He's so kind. He's so gentle with his discipline. You know, things don't go well in my parenting when I expect six-year-old behavior out of my four-year-old. But our Father in heaven never makes that mistake. Now, up to this point, I've been saying, if you want to be totally consumed by the loving, holy presence of God, if. But I need to be more accurate than that. And to be more accurate, I actually need to tell you that it's not a choice if you will be consumed by the holiness of God. In fact, we are all going to be consumed by God's holiness one way or another. In the Bible and in other places, it talks about God's holiness like a fire. And here in our passage today, did you notice that fire comes up three times? Two times for destruction, once for deliverance. Here's what I mean. There was the trees that didn't bear fruit, the axes at the root, they're chopped down, they're thrown into the fire. And then at the end, it's the wheat and the chaff where, you know, if, if you're a farmer, you've got a hay fork or a pitchfork, you throw up the harvested wheat into the air with the fork, and the chaff, which is light, will, will float away on the breeze, and the wheat, which is heavier, will fall back down. But then you go to where on the threshing floor all of the chaff had kind of gathered in the corner, and you get it together, and you burn it. So he's saying, trees that aren't bearing fruit, the chaff, they're going to be thrown into the fire. But someone else is going to be thrown into the fire. Those who believe the promise. Those who are looking to the one who is to come. He says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. In baptism, the word just simply means immersed. You're going to be dunked. You're going to be thrown into the fire. So everybody's getting thrown into the fire with two dramatically different outcomes. Some are thrown into the fire for destruction. Others are thrown in for deliverance. It reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story of the three who were faithful. And because they were faithful, they got thrown into a fiery furnace in Babylon. And yet that fire did not consume them. It didn't kill them. Not even a hair of their head was singed. And yet the soldiers who threw them in were all killed. Same fire, two dramatically different effects. We can also think about Pentecost. This promise from John the Baptist, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. It begins its fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. Just a few days before that, Jesus had said to the disciples, not many days from now, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then a few days later, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And do you remember what was the sign of the Holy Spirit? Along with the rushing wind, flames of fire. And they're all looking at each other and saying, it's just like John said. We're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and here's the fire. The promise begins to be fulfilled on that day. It will reach its final fulfillment on the day when Jesus comes back, and the Bible says, a fire will cover all the earth, and indeed, the heavens and the earth, and everything that is made. And this fire will bring destruction to the proud who resist God, and it will bring deliverance to the humble who in this life received and welcomed his word of discipline. On that day, 
every last person who has ever lived or will be alive on that day will either perish in God's holiness or participate in it forever. So you don't get a choice whether you will be thrown into the fire, so to speak. But the choice is, will that be something that destroys you or will that be something that delivers you? Maybe like the crowd, we hear that and our response is, what shall we do? If that's the case, if that's true, what do I do? And if you're here this morning and you have not given, let me invite you with all seriousness and with all joy to give your life to Jesus today. To admit that you've done wrong in your life, you've wronged God and you've wronged others. That's what it means to confess sin. And once you confess your sin, receive the forgiveness of God. If you've never done that before, let today be the day. For the many of you who have given your life to Jesus, then the invitation this morning is to continue to welcome and even, I am saying, invite, ask for the Lord's discipline. Invite his discipline because it means deeper connection. So back to the beginning where I said some of you, you get triggered with the word discipline. If that's you, now I'm no psychologist, so I'm not going to get into family origin stuff that's beyond my pay grade and my boundaries. But if for any reason, discipline for you means rejection, disconnection, distance. It's not connected to love then today the Lord wants to rework your vision and your understanding of discipline. He wants to heal you. And so I would encourage you today when we have prayer on the side of the sanctuary during communion, if that's you and you, you know that you've got an understanding of discipline that's off, it's not right, it's not God's vision, go and receive prayer and just say, I need God's vision of discipline. And here's why. You need to be healed from that because without it, you're always gonna run away from discipline and you'll never grow. But secondly, you need to have God's vision for discipline because he's going to call you to be his instrument to discipline others. That's part of the Christian life. That's not all that we do, thanks be to God, but that's part of what we do. It's part of how we love one another. But the Lord wants to say very clearly to those of you who are still shaky on, on discipline, when I discipline you, it is because I want deeper connection with you. I'm not pushing you away. I'm pulling you in. I'm going to finish by reading a few verses out of Hebrews 12. The whole chapter is worth reading, especially on this matter of receiving the Lord's discipline, but hear the words of the Lord from Hebrews. O children, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary of the Lord's reproof. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Our fathers on earth disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to us, but our God in heaven disciplines us for our good, and then listen to this part, that we may share in his holiness. I'm going to invite you now to actually pray a prayer with me. So close your eyes and place your hands over your heart. And if you feel comfortable, I even invite you to pray this out loud, quietly, 
under your breath, but out loud. Repeat after me. Lord, I invite your discipline. Let your holy fire descend on me. Let your holy fire descend on our church and consume everything that is not pleasing to you and strengthen everything that is pleasing in your sight. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.